Hello. So here we are again. I am going to try to be brief. Pastor Monty informed me erroneously that in the book of Matthew it says that we are supposed to be brief. Blessed are those who are brief. That is not there, but uh, I'll go ahead and try to take his advice. That said, I am not known for being brief. I am known for being thorough. So, this month, the eldership wants to talk to you all about what it means to be a family before God. Specifically, we have been looking this year over the concept of being accountable to each other, invested in each other's lives, and what that can look like in terms of being beautiful before God. So family becomes a really important um, subject for us to go over. Interestingly enough, by design completely, we also have Friends and Family Day that's taking place this month as a time for you to invite your, your family and friends to understand what it is that goes on here because this place is part of your family. So in order for us to talk about family, we have to define family. This is a sort of a common thing in the way that I preach. I like to define things, to give a definition of terms. And this becomes a really important practice today because most people have a definition of family which is in flux. Now, I don't know how many of you are on the ABFS thread. If you are not, it stands for ABF Satellites. And that is a thread that you should be on if you're not. But essentially, on the ABFS thread, I posted this morning Pew Research. Does everybody know what Pew Research is? It's a foundation that does research on social demographics, on um, just how, like, the way that the, the current mindset is working. And one of the things that this article that I posted talks about is how family has changed and reshaped itself over time. It is constantly changing itself over time, and never more so than it has been right now. So when we talk about family, I kind of need to reintroduce you to the concept of what family is before God. So what is a family? As I stated already, the definition is in flux, according to the world. But the world's definition for family is essentially this. A grouping of people that have blood relationships, affinity... Does anybody know what affinity means? Yeah, they, they want to be with each other because of a common experience. Or residents, people who are connected to each other because they essentially live with each other. So that could be a culture. Um, so a grouping of people that have blood relation, affinity, or residence. The principal institution for children to learn how to interact in groups. This is another definition of a family. It is usually based around a mother and her children, which is called matrifocal. So mother, matra, and then focal, focus. The sexual union between a father and a mother and the offspring that they produce, which is called nuclear. Or branches from a blood-based relationship, which is called avuncular or extended. So I'm going to put on the board a diagram on that board um, <coughs> of how the world looks at family, so that you can just sort of have this before you. Ooh, there's like a laser pointer somewhere, right? Want to run me a laser pointer? So you can see on the uh, left-hand side, mother, father, child, in the middle would be nuclear. Matrifocal is the line that runs between mother and child. Thank you. Does this work? Yeah. Uh, matrifocal is the line that runs between mother and child, and then you have the avuncular or extended. This creates society, and yeah. So anyway, <clears throat> what is the purpose of a family according to the world? Well, science would argue that the purpose of a family is evolutionary, that it is an evolutionary function. So the purpose of the family is to create safety and to promote a system of benefit through social contract. We've talked about before what social contract is. Literally, it means we have an understanding between each other that um, it's good for me to get my back scratched, and it's good for you to get your back scratched, so we scratch each other's backs, and that's a relationship. So people came together to scratch each other's backs, according to evolutionary theory, and to be safe. 
modern ideas of family are actually based on evolutionary theory. They're based on the works of Darwin's theory of evolution, which of course speaks of survival of the fittest. The idea that when we are, the idea that the way for us to survive is to essentially work past uh, the, the things that are in our way and the, the strongest thing is what survives. So believe it or not, as we understand family and as we talk about family in the world, we're actually working off a, a derivative of Darwin's theory of evolution. So modern ideas are derived from this. In 1877, there was a guy named Lewis Morgan. Oh, uh, FYI, you might want to bring a notebook to service for the next month. So <laughs> Lewis Morgan in 1877 published a paper called Ancient Societies, where he outlined how family came from an evolution of savagery to barbarism, and then eventually became civilization. Frederick Engels, in 1884, he expanded his theory into economics, and then talked about how money was involved in that. And he theorized that primitive communities formed into classes in order to create families out of the economic situation. So therefore, you had families coming out of rich people and poor people. The poor people, they associated together, they were in residence, they had an affinity toward each other, therefore they became families. The rich people, they associated together, they had residence with each other, they interbred, and then they became rich families. Karl Marx was influenced heavily in this, and he built a lot of his theories on the idea of communism on this concept of social evolution and the idea of the family. In, 19, in the 1980s, there's something called structural functionalism, which gained acceptance. And the view further solidified the idea that the purpose of family was for solidarity and safety. So the world believes that the family is formed out of a need for safety and benefit through social contract. Does that sound familiar to you guys? The world believes that the reason why we have families is for safety and mutual benefit. Sound right? Sound like what we've been taught? So where does the identity or the power of the family originate? So when I'm talking about the identity or the power of the family, <clears throat> I'm talking about right here, point of origin of authority. What makes us say, my family has say in my life? Why do I think I need to listen to my family? Where's the point of origin? Well, everybody has their own belief systems according to the theory of evolution, which are distinct. Mother has her own, father has her own, parents and partners have their own. Um, and these are points of origin. Historian Lawrence Stone has identified three distinct familial types throughout history with differing points of origin. In other words, there's varying ideas of where people get their points of origin for authority from. So from 1450 to 1630, there's something called open lineage family dominated. And that was the idea that your point of authority came from clansmen. Anybody ever watch the Highlander series? It's kind of old and dated, but they're, uh, they're uh, relaunching it pretty soon here. But anyway, there was, there's the famous uh, Connor McLeod, and he was of the clan McLeod, and he's a Highlander. And then there's Duncan McLeod of the clan McLeod, and there's Quentin McLeod of the clan McLeod. And so you hear a lot of that going on. Uh, anybody watch Game of Thrones? Okay, so that's probably a more recent. Um, so anyway, <laughs> clansmen rather than husband and wife was the focus, right? So what you have is these two things are biological functions rather than relationships. And so whether there's love between them doesn't really matter, so on and so forth. They're just biological functions in order to support the clan. Roles are often without love. They're meant for security. Um, they're meant for financial gain. So think about Game of Thrones. In 1550 to 1700, the nuclear family grew in importance as land was consolidated. So because we've got the security now, we have land that's consolidated and therefore we don't have to focus so much on creating that security. And so then we can um, start to build these roles. So father right here was the main method by which these roles were built. They were the soldiers and so on and so forth. So they became the heads of the family. 
Families are led by men who were the consolidants of land and finances. Then in 1640 to 1800, we have something called a closed domesticated nuclear family, which is this concept right here. So the closed domesticated nuclear family had roles in family, the, these roles in family, decline. Um, <clears throat> let me see here. Uh, family declined because relative safety had been achieved. Immediate relatives then became more valued. So father, mother, child, these became more valued. Children and family fun became more important. And the romantic novel became a thing. We have, for instance, the works of Shakespeare, where we have Romeo and Juliet. Um, so the, the idea of romantic um, connection became a thing that was put into families. Uh, it became embedded in the concept of love and marriage, and then sexuality also became a vital part of the understanding of marriages. So please note, in all of these different views of family that take place right here, that there are differing points of origin and authority. That every time you shift your understanding, for instance, to matrifocal, then the point of origin becomes the mother and the child. Or when you shift it to the, uh, the second one, the restricted patriarchal nuclear family, the point of origin becomes the father, for instance. So it changes each, each time. The point at which identity for a child is developed. That's what a point of origin is. It's the identity for a child. So the point at which it's developed and thusly the blueprint for society switches every time we come up with a new idea of how family works. So when I say it's the point of development for a child, what I mean by this is that children understand the world based upon safety. This is the first thing that we understand when we look at Erickson's theory of childhood development and we look at the steps by which somebody uh, um, advances in their development, the first thing that a child learns is that the world is either safe or it's not safe. Well, safety is wherever the point of authority comes from. If the father is not a strong point of authority, then the world is not safe. If the mother is not a strong point of authority, then the world is not safe. So basically, your sense of identity as you grow up is based upon where your point of authority comes from and your understanding of the family, the family unit. Just as was stated before, one of the things that the purpose of family is, according to evolutionary purposes, is how we operate in a society. Children learn in a family how to operate in a society. So where did the concept of family come from according to the world? Well, most family units, so, so we, we, know what, we know what we're working with. There is a concept of family, which I've explained. Most family units have uh, the world has these concepts, but where do they actually come from in their mindset? So most family units have an origin of family that's actually based, believe it or not, not in science, but in myth or creation. So there was a guy named Hesiod, and he is an ancient Greek uh, poet, and he spoke of different gods who started this process of family. They, the different gods started to organize men into different groupings for their own pleasures. And that's the start of family in ancient Greece. China, Assyria, Egypt, they all kept records of how it was that the, the gods are connected to their families and that certain families are actually connected to the gods. So these are families that should be worshipped over other families. The Pacific Northwest, where we live, um, I just, side note, uh, just, it was just revealed to me through a DNA test that I am not connected at all to the Pacific Northwest. <laughs> Even though, like every other person in the Pacific Northwest, apparently I have Cherokee blood. Not true. Uh, so I had it down as my ancestors, but it's not really my ancestors. So the Pacific Northwest totem poles, for instance, tell the story of how the gods used to intermingle with the ancestors of the Native Americans. So these concepts of family from around the world, they actually generally start not with science, but they start with a concept of spirituality. So what about, so we have your, your concept of a nuclear family, but what about this section right here? What about this section? The non-biological family. 
what I call the relational community. We've got lots of people who believe that their families are not biological in nature, but in fact are the friends that they grow up with, right? The friends that are there for them even when their blood relatives aren't. How do we explain those? Well, their natural, according to the world, their natural um, aspects of evolution. It's the I scratch your back, you scratch mine. Let's see, I'll just read for you what's written here. Having friends become, become family is a natural aspect of reaching beyond your biological circle and beginning to create your own biological circle. Along the way, you pick up people who mimic the aspects of your biological circle that you have come to trust. So you come to trust this, and then you spread it over this way. These people you seek to turn into a surrogate family of sorts. Then there's a covenantal community. Rather than location or similar circumstance driving your relationship, the people in your covenantal community are people who are like-minded and act in tandem. How many people have heard of Greenpeace? Adam says, no, I haven't heard of Greenpeace. <laughs> How many people have heard of politics? How about that? My family is the Democratic Party or the Republican Party or you know, those who support this or that. Mindset equals family according to the concept of covenantal community. Are those things wrong? Maybe, maybe not. But science says that those things are a natural outworking of our evolutionary state. Relational and covenantal communities comprise the necessary non-biological frameworks for actions and ideas which eventually becomes one's worldview and the very thoughts and ideas that will define a person. Long and short of it, this is who we are as a person when we start. Now, we of course are not evolutionary thinkers. We are Christ-minded. We believe that God has created us, that God has created family, that he's ordained it, that there is a engine inside of us, a God engine, where we are made in his image, and we are supposed to run like that. So it would be natural to think that God has spoken on the concept of family before, right? And that man's identity of family is one concept of identity, one concept of how to look at things, but that God has his own way of looking at things. And if you think that, then you would be right. God has set up his own process, his own uh, PFA, or proper flow of authority in Scripture by which a family is supposed to operate. Now, this is not something that people like to hear. People like to hear that we can do whatever we want to, that we can make things however we want to, and that the point of authority changes. The point of authority is with the child, or is with the mother, or is with the father, or so on and so forth. But that's not how God has things set up. And today, I'm not here to talk about how man has things set up, even though I've spent a good amount of time talking about it. I want to talk about how God has things set up. So, <clears throat> how does God set things up? Well, first of all, God is pretty much a genius. And the way that he sets things up kind of looks like all of these things, but none of these things. So the first thing, the thing that people tend to associate with Western Americanized Christianity, or as I like to call it, whack, is this right here, the nuclear unit. People tend to think that the way that God has it set up is father, mother, child, that creates a family. But it's actually a little more complex than that, or should I say a lot more complex than that. It is a complex system of communities hinged on two specific figures. So the first one, which you don't see in this picture, is God. God is not anywhere in this picture. The best you could do is you could put God up here with beliefs. The second one is going to be the father. The father is actually, according to scripture, the crux of a family unit. Is there evidence for this in scripture? That's always going to be the question when we make a claim like that. Is there evidence for this in scripture? Can there be a connection between God and the biological father in scripture? Yes. God sets up the father as the defender of the holiness of a household. The father appears in scripture all the time. 
So let's just take a look at some verses. And I'm going to rattle them off for you very quickly. But here we go. <clears throat> Ephesians 6, 4. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. You see the instruction of the Lord and fathers connected to each other. Psalm 103.13, as a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. Father, God, connected. Ephesians 6, 1 through 4. Well, I guess it's kind of the same. Deuteronomy 11.19, you shall teach them your children. This is speaking to fathers. You shall teach them to your children, talking about the laws, um, when you are sitting in your house, when you're walking by the way, when you lie down, when you rise. It's the father's responsibility to teach. Genesis 18.19, speaking of... Abraham and his relationship as a father to the future nation of Israel. Uh, For I have chosen him that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice that the Lord may bring him to what he has promised him. Acts, now we're going New Testament, 2, 38 through 39. Peter said to them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promises for you and your children and for all who are far off. Everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself, he was talking to fathers about bringing his family to salvation. In Proverbs 3.11, My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof, for the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. Again, the father, the Lord, synonymous with each other in terms of a power of authority. And I've got verse after verse after verse after verse here which we're not going to read through. So, God sets up the Father as the defender of the holiness of a household. What does holy mean? To be set apart. Holiness means to be set apart. That you, if you are holy, are not the same as the world, but that you are different. The Father is the defender of holiness in the household. He is the adjunct of God in this way. It is his job to give correction. It is his job to give discipline, which is just another way of saying methods of correction because of his love. This is very important. Discipline because of his love. Not punishment, but discipline. He is to receive honor. He is to give instruction. He is to disciple in a 24-7 way. He is to command his entire house. His entire house, that means his children, yes, and his wife, yes. He is to lead by example, by being righteous and just. He is to provide an example and first steps for his family in repentance and baptism. He is to submit to the purity of his family before God, and not just before God, but before the people. He is to be an example of who God is to his children, and many, many, many more things. So who is the father? The father is the head of the biological community. This right here, right here, is the biological community. He is the head of the biological community. But, ready for this? According to scripture, the father is not the head of the family. This is very important. The father is the head of the biological community, but he is not the head of the family. Who is the mother then? The mother is a necessary aspect of the family of God in order for it to function as he designed. It's really interesting if you look at Genesis that the lack of presence of the mother in a pre-sinful world is the only thing which is not good. Let me say that again. The lack of the presence of a mother in a pre-sinful world is the only thing which is not good. In other words, God created man to rule over creation, and everything was good except that man did not have his partner. She provides a way for man to begin his own family. Genesis 2.24, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife. They are to become one flesh. She is in submission to her husband in his relationship to God. 1 Corinthians 11.3 But I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ and the head of every wife is her husband. Ephesians 5.22 Wives, submit to your husbands as you submit to the Lord. 
She has the same value as a man, but has a different function. Genesis 1.27 says, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female. In other words, when it speaks of man here, it's speaking of the entire human race, male and female, created before God in his image. They are the same before God, but with different functions. Galatians 3.28 says this also. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male. There is no female. You are all one in Jesus Christ. I want to be careful to point that out because I feel like a lot of times there's pushback on this concept of order and submission and structure within the church. Because this day and age, when we look at that, we think that in order to have order, you have to talk down to somebody, or you have to lower their status as a person. That's just not true. Everybody is equal before God, but they have different functions. In fact, the husband and wife are the same person in God's eyes. They are inseparable as an organism. Ephesians 5.28 says, in the same way husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. A husband who loves his wife loves himself. They're inseparable before God. You don't have a wife without a husband, and you don't have a husband without a wife, according to God. She has the same commands to fulfill as the husband, but again, with a different function. As God blessed them in Genesis 1.28, God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. This is the first thing that we're supposed to do as human beings. This is the prime directive of human beings. And it was God said to them, not God said to man. So she has the same mission, different function. So who is the mother? The mother's, and she has so much more than that for the record. Who is the mother? A mother's role is to support her husband in supporting God's support of the children. A mother is to manage the household under the direction of the father's understanding of holiness as a means to bring a child pure before God. They have the exact same job in terms of, or mission in terms of bringing a child pure before God. Is the mother the head of the household? No. Is the father the head of the household? When I say household here, I'm saying family. No. Neither of them are the head of the household. Who is the head of the family then? God. God is the head of the family. He operates both by proxy and directly with his family. He uses equally and in tandem both mother and father to connect to his children. His children being us down here. He uses them both equally and in tandem. But he does rely on them to have different roles. Those different roles create a bigger web of understanding. He relies on the biofather to be a direct representative of who he is. The biofather becomes a representative of God. He relies on the bio-mother to be a helper of the husband in this process. Their responsibility with children, then, is to raise those children up to be active representatives of not their own family, but of God's family. Can I have that next slide up there? So why does God set it up like this? Well, first of all, that's not the right slide, by the way. First, thank you. First of all, it's because we're made in God's image. That's the first thing. We're made in God's image, and therefore, because we're made in his image, we reflect his triune nature. You see, God is set up like this. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. This creates or is an expression of what we call the Trinity. This is who God is, and this is who we are right here. We have our nuclear family based in this. The biological community is a 
the biological community is a reflection of that. Christ is the head of the man. Remember the scripture that I read? The father is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the father. Remember that? So here we have Christ, father, and there's the role, protector of the family. In the same vein, Holy Spirit, mother. What does Holy Spirit mean? What's, what is that word that we were talking about in terms of the Holy Spirit? Just, what, a month ago? Two months ago? Yeah, the encourager, the comforter, the one who comes alongside. Is it by chance, is it by evolution that women are more able to come alongside? That their emotional response and their neurological brain chemistry sets them up to be more language-based, to be more emotionally um, acute, to be able to connect. No, it's not by happenstance. It's not by evolution. It is by God's design. God designed the woman to be an adjunct to the Holy Spirit, which is a reflection of the infinite community, which we call the trinity of who God is. And let me point out for you that God, the Holy Spirit, is God the Son, and is God the Father, and they are all God. In the same vein, as I pointed out to you earlier, before God, there is no difference. There is no male, there is no female, there is no father, and there is no mother when it comes to keeping the holiness of God's people. But there are roles, and God gives us what we need to fulfill those roles. How we operate reflects God's triune nature. Fathers are a mirror for Christ. Mothers are a mirror for the Holy Spirit. They teach a child about who God is and how he interacts with himself and with his creation. The biological community then becomes a reflection of the infinite community of who God is, and that gives us grounding. What are the effects of having it set up like this? Well, it creates a safety net. It creates a safety net from beyond society because society collapses on its point of origins. Every time we move a point of origin from place to place, we no longer can feel safe about things. In other words, if you are a parent and you remove one of your parenting partners and then you bring in another parenting partner and then you remove that parenting partner and you bring in another parenting partner, do you think your child is going to feel safe? No. But if you have a single point of origin for authority right there, all of a sudden, it doesn't matter what happens here. It only matters what happens here. Because the point of origin doesn't change. And that makes us safe. And so it creates a safety net cast from beyond society. And this means that when a society fails, Identity in the family and identity of the family still continues. Let me say that again. When society fails, identity in the family and identity of the family still continues. We know that we want this. How many people saw A Quiet Place? Anybody? Just a few people. It's about a family surviving in a dystopian, uh, not really dystopian, but apocalyptic future where a, a mass extinction event happens. Well, what happens to society? It falls apart. But what happens to the family? It comes together. This is what we always talk about, right? If something goes down, who are we going to come to? Who, who, how are we going to rally? We're going to rally with our family, right? Because we want that. We want the concept of a safety net that survives the implosion and explosion of society. Having the point of origin come from God the Father creates an opportunity for proper attachment because the safety net is from beyond the constraints of society. So proper attachment looks essentially like this, and I'm going to say it very fast. Trust of care is established by somebody who is trustworthy. When that person grows, when the person who has trust of care grows, then they need to learn trust of control. They're given rules and order. Once they understand rules and order, they can operate freely because of that. That's attachment theory. But if you keep changing the point of origin of authority over and over and over again, then you learn to mistrust. 
you don't trust anymore. And then you cannot properly attach. And when you cannot properly attach, you cannot form relationships. And when you can't form relationships, by the time you get into your 20s and you're trying to understand the idea of identity, you can't form identity. And by the time you become an old person, you wonder, what was the point of any of it? It also consolidates the point of origin. It makes it so that there's one singular point. It makes it nice and easy and a neat package. So then let me ask the question. This is great and wonderful, but let me ask the question, what about broken families? What about broken families? What about mixed families and blended families and single parents and adopted families? So are these people just left out? I would hope that while I was taking a drink, you all would say no. God is consistent, though we are not. His intended plan is consistent. It always succeeds. Even when it seems like it's not going to succeed, God's intended plan is consistent. This always happens even when we don't want it to. Scripture is rife with contingency. God always accounts for the variances. For instance, consider the fate of Jacob and Esau. Esau stepped outside of what he was supposed to. Esau was taken care of. Jacob stepped outside of what he was supposed to. Jacob was taken care of. Consider the fate of Ruth and Naomi. Ruth was left without a family, but God gave her the surrogate. She had Naomi. Consider the fate of the Jews and the Gentiles in regard to salvation. The Jews were given salvation, they squandered it, and so God opened up the door for the Gentiles to have salvation. And what happens when the Gentiles have salvation? It pulls the Jews back in. Consider Esther and Mordecai. Consider how Esther didn't have a family, and yet she was taken in. Consider Samuel and Hannah. Samuel didn't have parents. I mean, yeah, he had people who biologically birthed him. He had a biological community for a very small amount of time, but he was given to service within the church, and he lacked that nuclear family in terms of his training right from the gate, like within like four years. Yet, he was the first high priest. Consider Deborah and Barak. Deborah was not meant to lead the people of Israel, and yet... She ended up leading the people of Israel. And God brought salvation through her, even though it was outside that framework. Just because you have something that is not inside this framework does not mean that that framework will not eventually come through. God always does what is best for his people. And all things work together for the good for those who love God. What happens when it's not set up like that? We call it a deviation. Any deviation causes something other than God's intent, at least in the short term. When this deviation is unavoidable, like I said, God will always provide a means of reconciliation for it to return to what he intended. Our very salvation is based on the concept that when a deviation presented itself through sin, God provided a sacrifice to pull us back. Of course, he will do that. He will present the opportunity for that. But let's say that there was none of that, or let's say that it takes a long time. Well, this leads children, of course, to look for their own means of safety. As I talked about, again, in attachment theory, we also have the concept of uh, maladjusted residuals and what happens when attachment theory doesn't work. And so people build, let's just call them coping mechanisms or maladaptive behaviors, well, maladjusted residuals that turn into maladaptive behaviors. <clears throat> Children without fathers are particularly at risk. Children without fathers are four times greater to be at a risk of poverty. They are seven times more likely to uh, get someone pregnant. They are more likely to have behavioral problems, more likely to face abuse and neglect, two times greater to have a risk of infant mortality. 
They are more likely to abuse drugs and alcohol. They're more likely to go to prison. They're two times more likely to suffer from obesity. They're more likely to commit crimes. They're two times more likely to drop out of school. Deviation occurs when a child's perception of safety is placed at the wrong point of origin. In other words, if I do not place my point of origin up here, but I place it here, or here, or here, or here, then deviation will occur. I have a bunch of possible deviations, but I'm not going to read them. Uh, they're just concepts of if you start here, then this happens, start here, this happens. I'm not going to read them. Um, to avoid deviation, we should seek to reconcile our families with the biblical proper flow of authority, which begins at God rather than any other location. And that's the hard part, right? Because fathers want to say that the, the buck stops here. Sometimes mothers want to say that the buck stops here. Sometimes people want to say that the biological family is where it stops. So earlier I had mentioned relational and covenantal communities. Does God allow for them? Yes. In fact, what I'm going to tell you today is that they are absolutely necessary, absolutely important, and that they are, they are a point that we need to have as we understand God's idea of family. God expects that there be a healthy integration between at least four different communities. And these communities work together to create the concept of family in the life of a human. Can I have that next slide? Here we can see these communities working in tandem to create a holistic sense of identity for a child. So we call this model the proper flow of authority in parenting. Um, <clears throat> so what you do is you find the point of origin. This is your point of origin right here. And you take your quickest route down to child. And that is what you want it to be. We can see the areas of identity which will be developed when this model is employed. So what communities are established in this model? So God obviously establishes the infinite community, right? And in the infinite community, we have an understanding of who God is. The offspring holds, this is all from the child's perspective. So in this model, the offspring holds that there is a sovereign relationship between God, the executor of God's will, and the spirit of God's will. This may also be referred to as the Trinitarian community. This relationship is the seminal relationship within the PFA, proper flow of authority, and is the blueprint for all others. Uh, this relationship will be built on spirituality and faith and seems more esoteric and intrinsic than contrived and rational. Then we have the covenantal community right here. This essentially is where you find church. I'm not going to go through these like I was just now. Then you have this right here, parenting, partner community, with child and husband, this is where you find friends and you build relationships, and then wife, husband, child, your nuclear community, your biological. This whole thing is a picture of family. Not this. This is a picture of a nuclear family. This is a picture of a biblical family. Biblical family is, is much bigger than we give it credit for. So family is made up of, according to scripture, the covenantal community, which brings clarity to creation and lays out boundaries and freedoms for creation, which allow it to thrive. Because of this, a person can become wise and righteous in their lives. If you have a covenant community, this right here, like a church, for instance, this is where you learn to become wise. The relational community, it brings companionship and opportunity to creation. Through it, people can explore beyond their biological borders, and when done correctly, this creates a trove of information that can allow a child to become highly equipped. Or another term that we would use in, in psychology would be pro-social. They can become highly equipped to deal with whatever is socially thrown before them. Because of this, a person can become bigger than when they were alone. Through this, they can gain polity in their lives. They can work, they can learn to work with each other. The biological community. I'm sorry, the infinite community brings identity to creation, creates a base layer of identity that cannot be shaken. Because of this, a person can become holy in spirit and in truth. They can become set apart 
And then lastly, the biological community. The biological community brings example to creation and creates a controlled environment with which to test, uh, with which to test a person's new God engine that they received at birth or at conception. Because of this, they can give safety and assurance, which eventually leads to a profound understanding of truth and faith. So family, and specifically a biological community, has a man as the spokes or crux of the operation of the family, right there. And this is repeatedly evidenced by the language of scripture, as I pointed out earlier, scripture after scripture after scripture says, the man this, the father this, do this, do this. <clears throat> and its emphasis on men being the vehicle by which sin entered into the world. In other words, the reason why there's that focus on men is because man screwed up the family. So man has to fix the family. That's what it is. God wants it to be one for one. There's a reason why animal sacrifices don't work. Animals didn't screw up. Men screwed up. So it has to be the blood of a man. That's why Christ died on the cross as a man. Men screwed up. Men have to fix it. Therefore, it's their responsibility to hold the weight of the family because they screwed up. <coughs> the head of the family is not man, though. It's not. The head of the family is God. Anything less will ultimately create a feeling of unsafeness, which will lead to many, many, many problems down the line. So why does it all matter? Because our understanding of family is falling apart. That's why it matters. Because when we look around, we see that people do not understand the particulars of family anymore. They don't know what a family is supposed to have. They just sort of reach and grab for what is a family. They don't know what it's supposed to have. So that's why it matters. They don't know why a family exists. They don't know the reason for a family. That's why it matters to us. They don't even know what the nature of a family is. What's my family's goal? I don't know. We just exist together. The reason why it matters is because though this is God's standard, this is not what we see around us. Everything around us looks completely different, even though it's God's standard. The reason why it matters is because our hearts long to implement God's standard. We long for fathers to be real men. Why else would we demean, for instance, in our media, men by, by having our fathers be people like Homer Simpson and Peter Griffin and Doug Heffernan and every other man that is essentially a picture of a fat, stupid, lazy, uh, unable-to-do-anything person. Why do you think we make fun of that? Because we want something more. Why do you think we want something more? Because that's who we are created to be. Why is this important? Because our children need us to understand this so that they don't have to waste time discovering it on their own. So that we can equip them to be righteous in their lives and not alone. So that they can be set apart and able to worship in spirit and in truth, safe and assured of God's love and plan for them so that they can become children of profound faith. Because our children have the right to know God intimately without attaching all of our baggage to that relationship. Because a proper understanding of family is vital to saving a society that has everything but believes in nothing. It's vital to saving a society that has all the masks and all the hats and all the clothes, but has no identity. It's vital to saving a society that has all the busyness, but no mission, no focus. It's vital to saving a society that has all the friends, but has no partners. It's vital to saving a society that has all the freedom, but no control to use that freedom. And it's vital to saving a society that has all of the audience, but no art that says nothing 
but just says. It's vital to saving a society that has all the people but without a God to worship. What is a family? Family is not merely a social unit, though it is that. Family is a God-instituted NICU. We live in a world of sin. And when we put a biological creature that's made in the image of God into this world, we thrust it into a world of sin that's looking to tear this child apart. Family is a biological NICU. It puts kids on life support and gives them the ability to take the time to learn how to operate in this world, to get their lungs working, to get their parts working, to be able to adjust to the germs and all of these things. It is a God-instituted NICU for the holiness of the people in a world with sin. It's meant to provide a safe place for his creation to learn the God engine that we are all born with, the heart prime that we have, without destroying the world around us or being destroyed by the world around us. It is meant not to make us happy, but healthy. Not to make us fit into this world, but instead to be set apart from it. To be holy before God as God is holy. It is meant not to make us good people, but righteous people. It's meant to fix and maintain and spread so that we can fulfill our responsibility to be fruitful and to multiply. But to do this, we have to realign our understanding of what family is with God's understanding of what family is. And at ABF, we will do this. We will be better, and that starts with you being willing to crack open your idea of family and ask, is it working the way that it's supposed to? Now that we've talked about the parts of the family, I'm going to spend the next few weeks talking about different aspects of the family. How can they interact in a healthy way? How do we transition a biofamily into a holistic identity that's much bigger than that and that is holy before God? How do we put that biofamily to use and replicate it? So here are my questions. Ready, Colin? What are the tentpoles of your family? What are the parts of your family as you have laid it out? Are they biblical? Do they need more? Who has been the head of your family? And a better question yet is, who will be the head of your family? Has your understanding of family only been limited to a biological community? And are you willing to look past where you started so that you can head where you need to go? What are some difficulties that you've faced in taking a biblical approach to family? What are some struggles that you've faced when you've tried to do it the way that God wants to do it? And do you have hope that you can one day have a biblical family in the future? Please go discuss.